Welcome to the All Out Coach Podcast. My name is Tim Mikhailashvili, and I'm your host. Podcasts are one of the best ways to educate ourselves, to share skills, and to also join a learning and development community, which is how I look at my own podcast as well. Today, I have a very special guest, Dr. Joel Topf. He is the medical director of St. Clair Research, also a partner at St. Clair Specialty. He's a nephrologist and a true pioneer in using social media for medical education. He has been running his blog, Precious Bodily Fluids, for 12 years. He co-created the longest-running Twitter journal club, NefJC, Nef Journal Club, which I heard about after doing a literature review on social media delivered medical education. And I was fascinated by its success. And I had a chance to meet him just a few months ago. NefJC connects nephrologists all around the world to discuss scientific papers twice a month. He has a large Twitter following and is a regular guest on the Internal Medicine Podcast that's very popular that all of you may have heard of, The Curbsiders. He was awarded the Robert Narens Award for Innovation in Medical Education by the American Society of Nephrology and has given talks on the use of social media in medical education in eight countries around the world. He makes visual abstracts for six different medical journals and organizations. And today he's going to talk about medical education via social media. Joel, what a pleasure to have you here, share your ideas and the journey that you have been through and now are taking yeah. all of us through as well. Yeah, this is great. I really, I really appreciate the invitation. Thanks for having me on. So how did this journal club that has really taken on a different image of its own really start? Can you give us the yeah. background? Yeah. So uh, the kind of the first medical journal club on Twitter that I saw was called uh, uh, MedJC, a medical journal club. And it was started by uh, a junior doctor and a medical student in England. And they just, they kind of figured it out and they kind of cracked the code. And they had, a, they had their own website and they did a little summary of the article. And then they invited people to join a discussion. And the discussion happened in real time for one hour. And I, I joined in for a couple of their articles, articles that were relevant to nephrology, but it was a general medicine journal club and they would have articles on cardiology and oncology and all different fields. But like a lot of these Twitter journal clubs, after maybe a year or two, they petered out and they disappeared from the internet and they're gone now. But it, it, it struck me as it was a really good idea and they executed it well. And then in uh, 2014, in 2014, uh, one of the people that I was kind of tangently working with on Twitter, and we were tweeting back and forth, said, we should start a nephrology uh, Twitter journal club. And I was like, you know, I think it's a good idea, but I was kind of, but I really wanted a dedicated partner to do this with me that I knew it was going to be a lot of work and I didn't want to do it alone. So I said, Hey, you know, why don't you do this, this, and this kind of just giving him a bunch of tasks to see if he would do it. This guy's name is uh, swap, no higher math. And God darn it. He did it. He, he knocked off everything I asked him to do. And I was like, okay, this is the partner for me. And we, we joined forces. And in, uh, I think it was, it was April of 2014. We did our first journal club. And one of the early questions that we had was like, how, often are we going to do these? And I think the easy answer is once a month. And I was like, no, we want to do this twice a month. We want to make sure, right. There's enough literature out there 
that if we do it once a month, we're going to really have to just be very, very selective and not be able to be experimental with what we choose. And I wanted to have a lot more latitude. Says, so let's double that. Let's do it every, let's do it twice a month. And we've kept up that pace since then. And it has been exhausting at times because, uh, I mean, what we do for a journal club, and, I, and I'm not sure how familiar your audience is with a journal club. So can we just start with a description of what a medical journal club is? This was uh, something that was invented by uh, uh, the grandfather of medical education, uh, William Osler. He couldn't afford subscriptions to all the journals he wanted. And so he would find somebody who had a, a subscription to a journal. They would pick an article and a bunch of group people would get together and share the article and discuss it. And then he took this to Johns Hopkins when he went there and everybody kind of loved it because it's, it's difficult if you're not, you can read a single journal article alone, but if you don't know the context in which that experiment or that manuscript exists, you can't really understand it. You really need to know what went on before it. You can think about if you were describing a problem, if you had like a long story about a problem, each paragraph would be a different manuscript, a different piece of evidence. And you string them all together. Now you got a picture of the story. But when you're reading one manuscript, all you have is that one paragraph and you need other people or at least a lot of expertise to understand the full context. And that's what you get with a journal club. Mm -hmm. And this has become a staple of medicine. Like 85% of internal medicine residencies have a journal club. Uh, and it's a it's a great time. One of the one of the new philosophies in education. I don't know how new it is, but one of the bigger philosophies in, in education is called flipping the classroom, in mm -hmm. which you allow the students to become the teachers. That's what it means yep. by flipping the classroom. And it also means that a lot of the busy work that we used to do in class, basic studying, you do on home on your do at home on your own, and you reserve the class for what the class is really good at, which is discussion and collaboration. And that's what happens in a journal club is that everybody reads the article at home and then they meet together for the discussion. So it's a great example of the flipped classroom. It has a great place in medical education and people love it. People really like it because it's a great way to stay up to date on the literature, which is one of the constant goals and struggles of all doctors. But as soon as you leave the academy, right? So as soon as you finish your residency and finish your formal training, you lose the journal club. And a lot of people have, you know, aspirations. Oh, in my private practice, I'll set up a journal club and we'll just do it with our partners. And it just never gets done because it's just a lot of work. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, there's always other demands on your time. And so this Twitter journal club was just an opportunity to like, let's bring the journal club out of the academy and bring it for everybody. And one of the things that we did some research on who was going to these journal clubs, mm -hmm. I wasn't so surprised, but I was, as fulfilled to see that the average age was not the 25 year old in residency. Mm -hmm. It's not the, not the 32 year old in fellowship. It's the 40 year old who's out in private practice or uh, they're they're They've left the Academy and they, but they, they're still dedicated to nephrology. They're still dedicated to their medical education. And now they found a venue where they can get mm -hmm. back to a journal club that they couldn't get to before. Yep. And that, that was very gratifying because that's what I really, that what that's what I felt. This is what I wanted. Yeah. And, and so it's been real successful there. And, and, I, and one of the things, you know, the, the, the high point of the journal club is the one hour discussion. It's a live discussion. We have a, there's a leader who kind of walks through the article in a very structured way, mm -hmm, usually mm -hmm. about 
60 tweets with, and there's a lot of questions where he's inviting people to participate and then everybody's answering questions and there's a bunch of side discussions that go off. It's very, it, it's, when you look at it, you know, when you take a step back and you look at it, it looks like total chaos. But if you're actually listening to it and you're following along, you can follow it fine. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, it, but there are a lot of different threads. There's a lot of different cross conversations that go on simultaneously. And I think newcomers can be pretty intimidated, but it, it mm-hmm. works. So, yeah. But that's the, that's the centerpiece of NFJC. But we have a lot of stuff around that that support it. So one of the things we have is we have a summary of the article, right? Because not everybody has time to read a full manuscript. Mm-hmm. Here what we have is usually you know, 2,000 words you know, four or five pages where you can read, oh, I get a sense of, and that'll include the background and go through the previous literature. It'll go through the resu- the methods and the results and also kind of the conclusions and the implications of the study. And then we'll also do a visual abstract, which is kind of a one panel comic book that kind of describes the whole study. Yep. And then, uh, and it'll also have a, uh, we'll also have a tutorial and which I think we'll talk about a little bit later, which will kind of summarize what went on in the, in the discussion. And then lastly, we'll do a podcast in support of it. So we, once we kind of pick an article, we do a lot of stuff around that to kind of deliver that article to the community. And, and not everybody does everything, right? People, some people are like, oh, oh I, I forgot. And we also have a newsletter. We have a weekly newsletter that goes out that also does this. And so there's a lot of ways to get the medical information that we that we digest and go through and summarize. Mm-hmm. You can do it by podcast. You can do it by tweet chat. You can just do it by traditional literature. Just kind of read the read the summary or read the, the article itself. The people that really inspired me to start this podcast, All Out Coach, uh, were a mentee that I had, uh, and also a physician. Uh, that that I heard uh, talk about this the podcast in which he was summarizing the key learnings and abstracts and sessions from a conference that everyone else in the room in that regional conference that I attended was referencing. And I told myself, look, this may be a good idea, you know, to start a podcast. And, you know, so uh, I actually, my inspiration came from a physician. You know, my question is, how do physicians, the busy physicians, uh, focus on a different uh, format of education and find it valuable too, as as has been the case clearly with with your journal club. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're you're seeing a lot of everybody's attention shifting mm-hmm. to social media, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether you're looking at physicians or teenagers or teachers. You know, everybody, this social media is exploding in importance, taking right. up more and more hours of our day and, and more and more of our attention, and so you know. It, or, you know, just like when YouTube exploded, you know, it was not just one type of uh, content that was on YouTube. There was educational yeah. content, there was entertainment content, there was music content, all of it was there. And same thing with social media. There's all kinds of content in social media, including medical education. And so it, it, it's just, we're just taking that same kind of attention that used to be devoted to medical education outside of social media and mm-hmm. we're finding a way for people to do it with social media because there's lots of aspects of social of social media that people like mm-hmm. and that's what and that's what and and one of them is kind of a there's a conversational tone right like uh i personally when i i find it very very frustrating to listen to a lecture and not be able to push back mm-hmm. on what i think is a, 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 a intellectual sloppiness or uh, looseness with the facts, I mm-hmm. that gets me very upset, and I want to I want to call somebody out on that. And on social media, you can do that immediately, 
right? right? You can quote tweet their tweet or you can reply to their tweet and say, hey, I think you were a little loose in the way, in the way you did this. And how about this article that points the other direction on that? And you can engage them in a conversation in a way yep. that you can't do in, an, in traditional media where you are, you're supposed to sit there and listen to me and you don't really have a mechanism for two-way communication. And I find that to be frustrating. I kind of find it to be uh, uh, treating me like a child, right? I'm yeah, an adult yeah. learner. And you, if you want to engage me, you need to engage me. You can't just talk at me. And that's one of the things that social media provides. Right. Yeah. What, what really uh, resonated with me was uh, learning and teaching, because I always say uh, that it's, it's the best way to uh, learn is to teach something you just have learned. And basically, that's what I've been doing the last three years, where I've been going on video on Mondays, on Fridays, trying to uh, inspire my colleagues or share with them for the week or the weekend ahead. I have a newsletter also, you know, uh, on LinkedIn. And so I, I, I think that's one of the best ways to learn. And that's how I look at podcasts. Um, and, and physicians, I mean, they use uh, social media for various reasons. Some of them to promote, of course, their research, but others to train, to manage crisis, right? How has it changed through, over the, during the pandemic? Yeah, the, the pandemic was, was really crazy time for social media. I keep going back to March of 2020 when this thing started and everybody, mm. the whole world kind of shut down. Right. You know, I, I remember it was at March 13th when the NBA said, we're canceling the rest of the season. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah it's like the, the cancel. I, mean, I couldn't believe it. Right. Just kind of boggled my mind that it was just over. And, you know, and I remember that happened before, like the U.S. government shut down schools and everything. And, I was, and it was just like, wow. And, and to me, it, was, it, it did feel like the NBA was kind of leading the world rather than uh, when you think it'd be the other way around. And at that moment, there was this intense interest in this topic. And there was lots of speculation and lots of wild ideas and, uh, and not great places to get that information, right? And tremendous demand. And a lot of that demand ended up being filled on social media. And one of the things uh, that our NFJC community did, you know, we had been for, we had already been in existence for six years. We had established really good networks of scientists from around the world with people that we've been working with who joined our journal clubs over time. And there was a question, there was actually a number of questions, but the first one that came up was that the SARS-CoV-2 binds something called ACE2 to cause an infection. And ACE2 is a molecule that may or may not be affected by a common uh, blood pressure medication called an ACE inhibitor angiotensin receptor blocker. And there was some animal data that showed that it would upregulate ACE2. And you started to think, oh my gosh, having more ACE2 may make patients much more susceptible to COVID. And then you start thinking, oh yeah, hypertension is one of those comorbidities that they've identified as causing severe COVID. Maybe the reason that hypertension causes severe COVID is because hypertensive patients are on ACE inhibitors. And that was the issue. And you could see that jump of logic and a lot of people took it and people started talking in major newspapers, you know, the New York Times, maybe you should be taking your ACE inhibitor in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And, you know, these are life-saving drugs and we should not be willy-nilly telling people to stop taking them. And so this was right in our wheelhouse. It was a question that was right up our, our alley. And we just started going through all of the literature we started creating an annotated bibliography of all the literature on 
ACE2 and ACE inhibitors and hypertension and COVID and whether there was any relationship and whether you should be concerned about it. And we were summarizing um, uh, 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 medical guidelines that were commenting on this. It started with two of the founders of NFJC, Matt Sparks and Swapnil Hiremath, but they quickly got over, overwhelmed. There was a lot of information that was coming out about this, a lot of research that was emerging quickly. And so they quickly, at, on, a, on the fly, built evidence review teams of their, this network of people that they knew. They'd already, had this, they'd already built this inter, interconnected network. And they, they coordinated their work on Twitter and built, uh, we built all kinds of siloed web pages all about COVID and dialysis, COVID and transplant, COVID and hypertension, with all the information, all the latest literature on there summarized. And it became a pretty incredible resource for the community that at a time when they had lots of questions. We did podcasts on this. We bring in experts to talk about this, kind of reinforce this type of information. And our website kind of transformed into a COVID information center for, for uh, nephrologists, for kidney specialists. I'm actually getting over COVID myself right now. So um, it, was a pretty, it was a pretty amazing thing. And our, our website traffic just went off the, off, the, off the scale. We're usually about 30,000 visits a month. We were all of a sudden 300,000 visits a month. It just was incredible, the demand for this information. And we were the source for that. Right. And, uh, and in fact, this ended up spurring one of the authors of this page did a randomized controlled trial, which is really the answer you're looking for to see if this thing really affects it. And there was, it ended up being no effect of the ACE inhibitors or antigen receptor blockers on, uh, on COVID infections. Thank God. I mean, the growth has just been incredible, you know, of, of your journal club. But for those who are not familiar with nephrology or with Nef journal club, let's spend some time maybe contrasting the Twitter as a platform versus others, uh, because I'll you know I'll be honest with you I'm I have I'm not um, I'm not a specialist in in Twitter and I know you teach you have actually a social media training internship that you have started on Twitter so um, what you know what are some of the success factors in starting a journal club or an, a community on Twitter. Yeah, you know, it, it, I think it's interesting to see why Twitter is different from other uh, uh, social media products, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and it's so very popular among physicians, right? It's one of the, it's the most popular, popular. Okay. And, yeah. and among scientists right. and among journalists. And you know, it's like mm -hmm. it's it, it, very much among knowledge workers. It's right. very popular. Um, and you know, you can start you can start to link. So one, uh, Facebook. You create a Facebook page. Uh, but when you publish to that page, people that like that page don't necessarily get those updates pushed to their, their newsfeed, right? And in yeah. fact, Facebook then tries to sell you access to people that have already liked your content, which is to be pretty scammy, right? If they, you know, these people kind of already made the commitment to my site. Why don't you, you know, why don't you push up my information to them? Mm -hmm. But that's their business model. And, you know, they make a ton of money, right? Yeah. So Twitter is not like that, right? Everybody who follows you will see what you post, which is big deal. That's a, that that's one of the difference, and that's one of the reasons that I don't think Facebook has been able to get a lot of traction as a source of this type of information. Um, Instagram, another Facebook product or Meta product, uh, 
they are very limited in the type of content you can push, right? You can put a picture and you can put a, as much words underneath that picture that you want, but you can't put a link. And a link is super important when you're doing medical education, right? So you can say, hey, I believe this. And then most importantly, I believe this because link to primary literature, link to YouTube video, link to presentation that I gave, an hour-long presentation that I gave on this topic, right? Right. You can link to just about anything. And that allows, it, you can't just say anything. And, and if you just say something and you don't provide the data, people will call you out on it, right? They're like, why would you say that? You need to show me the data. And there's no way to show me the data on Instagram except for LinkedIn bio, which means that you really... You can only kind of promote one thing at a time. It's just very, very limiting. And it seems like this, it's a weird artificial limit, right? Instagram doesn't want you leaving Instagram, so they don't allow you to put links in. It drives me mm -hmm. bananas. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing about Twitter that I think is super important is the ability to uh, amplify things that you like, the ability to retweet. And so, mm -hmm. you know, that's a lot of the, a lot of what, makes Twitter valuable is the social proof, right? Somebody that you trust has promoted this other tweet so that you see it, that adds validity to what that tweet says. Yeah. Right? Oh, Toff promoted that. Uh, he usually knows what he's talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and that and that social proof is super important, right? The question is always, well, how do you know what you can trust? And there's always a question of that, right? You can't trust anything blindly, but what, when lots of people that you trust that you know are good doctors that you've seen their stuff before and it's good stuff before and they've they've helped you out in situations before when multiple of them are promoting something and retweeting it and you're seeing it coming up in your timeline through them that adds to how much you trust yeah. what i find fascinating also is how you've created a real community a true community and i i was a witness of that you know i saw that firsthand when when we first met you've been able to take that virtual community generate an, a long-standing uh, relationship and a learning and development community which everyone is hungry for and i saw just a large group of physicians incredible physicians panelists moderators uh, at that event where we first met in Boston, a lot of those virtual training and medical education translates into uh, skills, into even skills uh, that may be in, in emergency room uh, for emergency medicine, uh, medicine physicians who I know are using podcasts, for example, or even training for surgical procedures and uh, learning models uh, via WhatsApp and various different types of you know real-time communication on medical skills. Was there a turning point where, uh, in, in you know, a turning point at some stage of journal club where you felt like, uh, you know, that's that's what really you know created that community. Was there a one 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 particular journal club? It's really been it's really been a slow burn. It's yeah. and um, mm -hmm. over a long time, there's no one time that we exploded. Uh, uh -huh. Okay. One of the one of the important components is that uh, a year into doing the journal club. Uh, Swapno and I are going, we need to have a better model. We need to find some other people to help us because this is a lot of work. And I said, ah, what we need is an intern. And so we designed an internship where we'd, we'd train people in social media, medical education and, and see how that would work. And so we started this uh, social media internship and that is uh, one year younger than uh, NFJC. So that's seven years old now. And we started with four people 
And we grew it over time. We peaked at 50 and we're like, no, that's too big. We kind of dialed it back. And now we're at about 35 people a year. We get these interns from all over the world. And we train them in writing blog posts, running tweet chats like NFJC, doing visual communications like visual abstracts. And, and now we treat, teach them how to do podcasts. So those are, those are the four pillars of it. And we have a bunch of different projects that they do. And it's an internship, not a class. Like they don't just sit there. It's not passive. It's all active. They're doing, 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 because that's how we think that you learn. Um, and it's a very supportive community. And we really, we have a private Slack, which is an important tool that we use where we were able to show, hey, this is a good example of using social media. This is a bad example of using social media. Don't do this, do this, that type of thing, which is a really powerful way of teaching and communicating values. Um, and, you know, you do this for seven years and you do 30 people a year, you start to get a lot of community, a large population of people that have done it. And one of the things that our graduates have gone out to do is they don't disappear after they leave. They stay on as faculty. They start projects of their own. A lot of high profile projects in nephrology were started by our graduates. Um, uh, one of the spinoffs of the Curbsiders is a pediatric podcast called the Cribsiders. Well, Brett was one of our, or Burke, Dr. Burke was one of our, uh, one of our graduates. Um, you know, so you see these these spinoffs all over the place uh, have been really powerful in terms of uh, building out the community of people that generate content for NEF Twitter and generating the community of people that are part of our community, which is great, and, and making it more vibrant. There's another website called uh, NEF Pocus, which is a point of care ultrasound site for nephrologists. Really excellent site. Another one of our graduates. NEF Sim, uh, a uh, a, a website that, that gives uh, questions and tips and training modules for nephrologists, excellent stuff, another one of our graduates. So time after time, we have, we're building, we're training the people to build the next level of content. And that's how you build a, con a community. It's been really successful. And, you know, and one of the other things that we, it, it's done is we have this, our faculty is larger than the number of interns. And it's been successful at, at what I initially wanted to do, which was like, I need to spend less hours a week doing FJC and the interns take care of it. Now we've got, we've got that system running. It's really, really successful. Uh, yes. Uh, so you mentioned the system. Uh, let's talk about the system in more detail and um, uh, differentiate the website that you have that gets 30,000 visits and the tutorials that you do. How does it really all work? How do you put it, put a journal club together? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I can totally do that. So a lot of journal clubs, they just pick a topic, they pick a topic and they do a, uh, they have a, a time and everybody comes for that one hour and they discuss the journal club, the, the article, and it's great, but then it's gone. And one of the things about Twitter is it's very ephemeral. Sorry, sorry right to interrupt. There. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. So when you say they come in for an hour, uh, do they come in in person or do you mean they log no. in at the same time? They log on to Twitter. They log oh, on to Twitter. Log, and okay. the, way it's, the way these journal clubs are always organized, they're organized by a hashtag, right? Mm -hmm. And what you do is you search for that hashtag and you don't mm -hmm. look for the most popular tweet, you look for the most recent tweet. And these hashtags are not like trending hashtags on Twitter. They're not that popular. Okay. They're just the 16 or 20 or 50 or 100 people discussing this journal club and you follow this hashtag and that's how you can participate in the journal club. And that's how you participate in discussions by following this hashtag. 
And our hashtag is always the same. It's NefJC, hashtag NefJC. Um, and, but during that hour, you can follow that. And it's a great way to do that. But oftentimes I'll be like, man, we covered this in NefJC a couple of years ago, but I can't quite remember what the conclusions of the article is. That's what the website's for. The website is an archive of okay. the experience, right? So we have the summary there and the visual abstract and the link to the podcast. All of that is on the website. You know, you can go back and you can tweak Twitter's search settings to be able to come up with that, but it's right. just, it's a hack. Difficult. It's a hack. Yeah, it's that's the difficult. difficult. Yeah, you know, that's what I found challenging and I'm really glad you just uh, yeah. brought, and I, you brought that and up. And I, I really think that the Twitter Journal Club, that's a live event and that really, you have to be there for that hour. And, mm-hmm, then, mm-hmm. and once it's gone, it's gone. But the other right. things like the tweetorial, like the summary, like the visual abstract, right. like the podcast, those ha- those are timeless. And that's what's all organized on the website. Okay, so and the tutorial. Now, yeah, can you go into a little more detail on the tutorial as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, it, so, you know, the, the problem with a tweet always is, oh, it's only 240 characters. What could you teach right, 240 right. characters? Yeah. Okay, well, what they do is they, you take one tweet and then you reply to that same tweet. Now you got two 240 characters and then you had to add another one that's another 240 characters. And we try to, chain about 10 of them in. Well, that's 2,400 characters. Now you got something, you can really say something. And we, Jamie Willows is the guy who does our tutorials for us. And he kind of came up with his ideas. I'm going to do a 10 tweet recap where he chains 10 tweets together and summarizes kind of the whole experience of the tutorial, of the, excuse me, of the tweet chat. And it's a, it's self-contained. It's easy to read. It's a great little summary. And you could do the same thing on a blog post, but keeping it all on Twitter makes it much more viral and they get much more reads. And, you know, there's some people that really focus on just doing tutorials as their kind of full educational package that they're going to be delivering to medical education. Mm-hmm. And they do wonderful jobs and they get tremendous uptake and, um, and uh, a readership. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal. And you know the, the fact that they can be easily spread and, and retweeted on Twitter is really powerful. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a, and so that's part of our educational package with with every week's uh, NFJC. Yeah. Okay. So it's a collection of tweets and a summary uh, of tweets that <laughs> end up being a very effective way to uh, to teach. Right. So, yeah. w- what are some of the most effective ways that you found uh, to educate? Effective formats are uh, videos, for example. Do you use videos on Twitter at all? Uh, can you go live on Twitter? So, right. So, there's things that you can do, and there's things that I do. I have not mm-hmm. gotten into video. It's mm-hmm. not. Uh, it's not. It's not my thing. Okay. Um, I I love doing podcasts. I think they're right. really really intimate. And the voice is really much more powerful than text. Um, (coughs) Plus, you can consume them in areas where you normally couldn't consume content. I'm thinking about commuting and exercising and cleaning the house. It it, it has a way when you're doing these other tasks that normally you might fill with music. Now you can fill them with educational content. And if that's your thing, if you like that, it's perfect. And it doesn't really compete with any other medical education. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a green field. It's a place that had never been exploited before. And it's been really fun to see that really develop. 
and people are and people are using podcasts all over the place for that. It's really yeah. it's really been an exciting change in medical education, and and yeah. students and learners love it. Yeah, Dr. Ian Lang in 1991 uh, apparently said, uh, "Teaching without testing is like cooking without tasting, or reading without writing." And uh, so, uh, how do you test the quality of, of education at NEF JC? What are some uh, you know, you know success that, stories that, you have? You know, all I all I can all I can attest to is people keep coming back to more for more of it. People enjoy it. Um, there was a survey done of uh, nephrology fellows asking nephrology fellows what resources they use mm-hmm. to, to prepare for their board exams yep. or, you know, or to learn nephrology. These are people in the process of becoming nephrologists. And uh, 35% of them said that they're using NEFJC. It's becoming one of the major sources of medical education for fellows. And I really don't think we target fellows as our, as our audience. We really target... Mm-hmm older and established nephrologists. So we're seeing people use it and they're coming back for it and they're marking it down as something that they find useful and uh, compelling. Mm -hmm. And we have not gone out to try to measure educational effectiveness other than that. Yeah. But I mean, the fact that what you mentioned about the engagement, it's, I mean, I, I learned about your journal club doing a literature review and doing a webinar on, on the social media education. And your journal club is an example and is a model that I think any specialty and, you know, and not even medicine outside of the healthcare field, I think can, can use. Now, are, are there any tips you have in terms of how do you in, incorporate um, or cons- consolidate many different parts of the process needed for the journal club in order to still be efficient with your time, productive? Are there any yeah. tips you have? How do, how do you, you know, get everything done? You know, the blog article, this no, what, you, what you're looking at now is the kind of the, the fully functioning machine that's been right. developed over years. Yeah. And we didn't, st- we didn't start out. We didn't start out with this type of sophistication. Trust me. Yep. And we get this question a lot from other specialties. Hey, we want to start a journal club. That looks actually yeah. really compelling. Right. And we got that question so often we went out and we wrote a white paper called starting your own medical journal club. And that's available on NFJC. You can just go there and you can get the, and it's like a 30 page argu- uh, discussion of how we do things. Uh-huh. It's nefjc.com, um, right? That's the website? Yes, it's or- nefjc.com. Okay. Yep. And then you have another blog, Precious Bodily Fluids. Yeah, Precious Bodily Fluids is my personal blog. And I've been doing oh, okay. that forever. I see. And <clears throat> quite honestly, a lot of what I used to do on Precious Bodily Fluid has just moved over to tweeting. Tweet, mm-hmm. right? that that's, usually, that's how I do most of my publishing now. For, for social media is not on a blog, but on on, yeah. twi- on Twitter. And FJC is not just mine, right? It's a it's a whole community of people that do it, right? I'm you know I'm a co-founder and I'm on the board now because it's we've done everything's gotten more complex as it's gotten bigger. Um, but there's a lot of people involved there, and it's not my personal blog, but yeah, nefjc.com. And if you go to nefjc.com and you go to more. There is uh, something called, uh, yeah, the Twitter Journal Club Primer. It goes through a lot of our thoughts about what's important and, you know, how to start and what are essential components and what are kind of optional to build on later. Yep. So are there any new topics or channels that you're pursuing or you're exploring? Or do you feel like you have a system going now and uh, uh, it's... Uh, you know, it's, it's working well and you're just, you're scaling the audience. What, what are the, what are the next steps now in the journal club that we can expect? 
Yeah. So for me, I'm moving on. I'm not moving on so much, but I'm, I am really focusing my energy on podcasts. I really think I the podcasts are an important thing. So I do the NFJC mm-hmm. the, the, the NFJC has its own podcast, which is called Freely Filtered. And uh, we try to get out an episode or two a month. Uh-huh. And then I, I also have a second uh, podcast called Channel Your Enthusiasm, which is kind of a, a, a different type of podcast here. We're uh, reading a nephrology textbook uh, with I have about, I have eight nephrology educators of varying levels in their career, from beginners all the way through to professor emeritus, and uh, we're reading one of the classic nephrology textbooks, and we're going through it chapter by chapter, and every chapter is about an hour and a half discussion, mm-hmm. and it's a real fun, cool project, and I think. You know, these nephrology textbooks are just a kind of a bear to read alone, but it's Mm -hmm. kind of fun to read it as part of a group, to read a chapter and then listen to a bunch of experts kind of talk about what they learned and what they thought it was interesting and what has changed since that was published, that type of stuff. Put some context onto that. And and so that's what we're doing. And it's it's, it's a real fun project. It's really successful. Yeah, because it allows you to reinforce uh, the knowledge and also share it, you test each other, and that makes sense because you need m- multiple time points and uh, different in- audiences with whom to exchange that information. Uh, like, like Benjamin Franklin said, right? Tell me and I forget, teach me and I remember, uh, involve me and I learn, right? So you're involving uh, your, your peers, which is amazing, uh, I think. And it's so there's, That's exactly right. It's, it's, a, it's an attempt to make reading a more active or more importantly, a more communal experience. Hey, we're reading the book with you, right? Chapter yeah. by chapter. So right. th- this is the, this is the goal of uh, channel your enthusiasm. We're about, uh, we're about a quarter of the way that I've published the podcast. We're about a halfway through that we've read the podcast and recorded the, the chapters. I got a lot of backlog of editing to do. I'll be remiss if I don't ask you about the ultimate audience, uh, which has grown exponentially of medical education and which doesn't end with our peer physicians, healthcare professionals, but also with patients themselves who are becoming ever more demanding. Uh, What message do you have for them uh, who may not be as well trained as, as you are or your, your colleagues in how they can, you know, systematically and critically go about uh, analyzing the medical education that's now, you know, accessible so easily. Yeah, no, that's a, that's, wow. There is a lot of poor medical education out there on social media. And that is an area uh, that I think there's a lot of uh, pitfalls and charlatans that are promoting uh, whatever they're promoting on social media. And I think it's an area that you need to be really careful. I would be incredibly hesitant to take any the any medical advice from anybody who was selling anything on um on the internet uh and i think that 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 you know <coughs> anybody who's selling vitamins or supplements or anything i think uh almost almost they're very suspect in terms of what that medical information is going to be uh, i think there's a lot of pitfalls and a lot of danger for patient level information 
Um, mm-hmm. It's not an area that I've spent a lot of time doing. I've really done focused on physician to physician education. Yeah, and I think you're closing for that gap in education uh, that actually increases with the increasing years in practice that's been published everywhere, right? The longer you spend in practice, uh, the more education you actually need and the less quality of healthcare you provide. There's there's studies from Annals of Internal Medicine that, you know, from 2006 that uh, I still remember uh, citing. And so you're, I think, helping educate those, those physicians who may be very comfortable with uh, how they treat patients, but who may not be as up to date with the journal club. And I, you know, I remember a journal club in, in the pharma industry and in medical uh, where we uh, identified a gap uh, of uh, this one hormone deficiency, which was uh, described very well in pediatric patients. Uh, but we wanted to study it, whether or not it, it, it indeed existed in, in, adult, in adults. And we turned around a study within two months. We authored a late-breaking abstract, which ultimately turned around the entire trajectory of the core, entire organization and you know, you know, allowed many more patients to access uh, the, the medication as well. So it all starts with, I think, critically translating literature uh, in the form of a journal club uh, and various different, you know, reinforcements of that education. So I can't say enough, express my gratitude enough for just making this resource available to our peers and and also providing a model and your enthusiasm, which which clearly shows. So I'm I'm, I'm really uh, grateful for uh, for you know really redefining a new format of education uh, that that we all can benefit from. Uh, via social media. You know, speaking of pharma, uh, you know, there are pharmaceutical companies like Lil, Eli Lilly and Pfizer who are now starting to do patient education and healthcare you know, podcasts, but it's still a very gray area, you know, for many pharmaceutical and medical device companies. And I know you have relationships and uh, you're an innovator and an independent thinker, and you speak with many pharmaceutical companies. How do you think modern pro- progressive pharmaceutical companies should utilize social media and medical education via social media in order to reach patients as well as healthcare professionals? Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that, you know, that that's, that's a good question. You know, I have some involvement, you know, nephrology has become recently a very exciting place after being a pretty sleepy specialty without a lot of innovation for a while. Uh, we now seem to be swimming in new drugs with new indications and and important indications and life saving medications and yeah. we we need to do a lot of um, of uh, reach uh, outreach to patients. I mean, you know, for for the longest time, you, know, you have a patient who came into you with CKD and you're like, well, we need to get your blood pressure fixed and be on an ACE inhibitor. And beyond that, there really wasn't a lot to do, and that's not the case now. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, I know, uh, we're starting to see some direct to consumer television ads and that seems to be really, it's amazing how effective that is, right? I have patients coming in and asking, you know, it's a classic, you know, ask your doctor about this and they're asking about, Hey, is this drug right for me? I was like, you know, as a matter of fact, it is right. You're right up that alley. And it's something that I wanted to talk to you about and having the patient initiate it is just an amazing, it's, it, it just really, it's so much easier to get the, get them to accept the medication when they came in with that already on their mind. It's a, it, I'd never experienced that before in medicine. And it's even better when it's a, it, you know, the, the, it's a product that I'm, 
I absolutely agree with, right? This is not, it's not a marginal situation. They're not asking to start a drug that they don't need. These are medications that really work and make a big, big difference for patients. And right now, you know, the ones I'm thinking about are the SGLT2 inhibitors, and we're doing an abominable job, terrible job of getting these patients on these things. And so, you know, it's, it, that, that's, you know, to me, one of the missions, I mean, we have a poss possibility of really changing the natural history of chronic kidney disease with these medications, but not if, not if they stay in the bottle, they need to be prescribed. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just seeing this with direct consumer uh, television advertising. And, I, and, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, uh, the reality is, is that more and more attention is being directed to social media and social media has, you know, same, you know, a lot of the same model as television. You can buy your way into people's news feeds. You can buy your way into people's Twitter feeds. And that seems to be a, that seems to be a legitimate way to go to, to generate and, you, you know, whether it's going to be just disease education, so people are more sophisticated about their understanding of chronic kidney disease um, or awareness of uh, or whether specific, you know, uh, uh, drug education, that this, this specific drug would be good for you. I, you know, personally, I think they're both going to be effective. I really do. Right. Because I think uh, uh, patients feel that boy, my doctor is not doing much for my CKD and I'm worried about going on dialysis. I saw my aunt die on dialysis and is there something I can do? And, and honestly, this excitement that we have in nephrology is gonna extend, there's a lot of drugs in the pipeline. Uh, I think nephrology is gonna be a pretty hot space in the, in the coming decade. Yep. Well, you know, the studies are increasing. The, just the volume uh, of data and the velocity with which it's traveling is just going through the roof, I think. And your journal club, I think, allows us to accelerate our education, our hands-on training. And again, thank you very much, Joel. I'd like to leave you the, with a final word to just address those who may be dabbling and, you know, thinking about how to best utilize social media. And, you know, Dr. Will, uh, Dr. Ruth Gotian, uh, who's the chief learning officer at Wild Cornell uh, here in New York, and who's published uh, in Nature, and she's interviewed many Nobel Prize laureates. She was actually a guest on, on this podcast, and she told me that one of the best, one, one of the most common characteristics that these Nobel Prize laureates had and the, these extreme high achievers was that they, uh, they had informal learning, a routine of informal learning that they, they worked out for themselves. And being you know, a part of the Neff Journal Club, I think, is that informal learning that you were mentioning I, earlier in the I think that's exactly, that's a great way of putting it, informal learning. I love it. Yeah, well, I, th I think um, I think uh, uh, the NFJC you know meets twice a week. Go to our website, sign up for our newsletter. We'll announce every time that we're going to be doing one, so you'll have you'll know when to show up. We actually do two of them. We do one of them in the uh, in the uh, that's convenient for the Indian time zone, um, uh, Indian subcontinent time zone, mm -hmm. and one of them that's uh, optimized for uh, uh, the United States, nine p.m. on Tuesdays. Not every Tuesday, it's just two Tuesdays a month. And um, come and join, come and join one of the tweet chats and see what, see what it's like, kind of get a sense of what's going on. Uh, Cause I, I think you'll find it compelling. You'll certainly find some other people to follow people that have interesting takes, which is a lot of what you're trying to do is trying to build a group of people that you follow on Twitter that are productive, that are not going to fill your timeline with a bunch of celebrity gossip or right. Uh, yeah. political stuff that's going to just make yeah. you angry. Yeah. Let's keep it focused on, on medicine, which is, I, I think is important for uh, making the, the platform productive. Yeah. And, uh, 
And so it's, it's as much about the discussion as about building the community. And you'll see that when you go there, it's a very welcoming community. Um, and there are some spirited debates, but they're never, they never get nasty. You're, you're making learning fun, education fun, and also allowing people to explore, not to be a, a, an expert, but to be a constant explorer. Thank you. I'm going, to, yeah, I'm going to join your social media internship program because uh, I still need lots of tips on, on Twitter. Uh, I figured I know, out you're, pretty, you're pretty good yeah, at this but... stuff, Tim. You're pretty good at this stuff. <laughs> well, th- thank you. Thank you. I, that, that's a compliment hearing from you, but I'm, I'm definitely going to join and learn from you. And I actually, I, uh, I invite others as well. to uh, if you have space, uh, I know you have your busy class, but um, I think we only, get, we only take 35, but we will we'll, we'll read your application. I, I, that sounds interesting to me. I thought, well, we haven't had anybody from pharma yet. We had one application. They didn't make it. They yep. didn't make that last year, but uh, <laughs> Okay. All right. Great. Well, thank you again for being a guest on All Our Coach, Joel. Take care. Take care.